Hey guys, Cool Coffee here. John thought he was going to get away with me not being in this episode because I'm here in Vegas and he's way down south in Sydney. Well, hey, that's fine because I'm having a good time here in Vegas with my Freshly.com meal. Always fresh, never frozen, fully cooked prepared meals that are ready to eat in three minutes. 100% all natural, no artificial flavors and preservatives, no refined sugars, no gluten, none of all that stuff that's terrible for you that I normally would love to eat. Folks, the prepared food has never tasted so good. Pop it in your microwave, three minutes, it's good to go. So if you get home late at night and you're tired and you don't want to cook, this is the way to do. So yeah, John, you might be down there in Sydney having a good time. Well, hey, I'm having a heck of a time here in Vegas eating my Freshly.com meals. And if you all want to have a, a piece of this as well, go to our website, click on the ad. It'll take you to Freshly. Sign up. It'll get you $40 off the first two weeks. That's right. $20 off the first week. It's $20 off the second week. And boom, it's ready in less than a commercial break, folks. Ready in less than a commercial breaks. That's where you can run to the restroom, come back, and you're not missing any of the fight action. So that's all I got to say. You're down in Sydney having a good time, John. That's fine. I'm here in Vegas, and uh, I'll just stay here with my Freshly. You go down there and play with the koalas or kangaroos or something. All right, guys, back to the show. Welcome to the MMA Road Show, episode number 138. My name is John Morgan. Cold coffee, well... He's dead. He, he did not get to make the trip. Fortunately, the good him. news is he's still alive, but he did not get to make the trip. Hey, let's be honest. It's a uh, it's an end-of-year card, uh, and there's uh, two expensive trips back-to-back, and the, uh, the fine folks at USA Today asked if we could just cut back on the travel just a little bit. So I'm doing this solo, but I've got... Uh, Two great friends with me, Dennis and Casper from Submission Radio. We are in Sydney, Australia, your neck of the woods. Not your exact hometown, so to speak, but certainly your nation, the continent that you represent. How you doing, fellas? Feels good, man. Feels good not to get off like a 14, 16-hour flight and then see you guys and be all groggy and, you know, unrefreshed from the flight. And, and it's good to welcome you over here. You're always on our show, you know, doing great work. So pleasure is ours, man. Wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I'm glad you guys were willing to do it and I always do appreciate you uh, you having me on. I guess I should say that, you know, I, I wasn't sure you would have spare time. You guys are just as busy as I am on a fight week. I know y'all like to, to put in the grind, but I guess if we're keeping it real – uh, UFC Fight Night 121, Verdun versus Tibura. Uh, not the biggest card in Australian history. Yeah, it's probably the chillest uh, fight week we've ever had. Um, that's a polite way to say it. That's chillest. a polite way to say it. We've interviewed the same people about 12 times. Um, I know everything about them, John. Uh, they've given me their credit card information, and I have <laughs> made money from this fight week. Also, <laughs> how about this? Uh, you, yourself, us, not much other media. We get a full buffet to ourselves and a room to ourselves where we just get to do anything we want. So this is great. I've been charging people money to come in and have some food. So money has been made for the first time in Submission Radio history from any MMA event. We're actually sitting in a ballroom. Uh, it's it's Friday afternoon here in Australia, which we always sit down and do the road show on Thursday night. It is still Thursday night back in the States. Uh, Friday afternoon during the time change, we figured, hey, let's sit down. We're in a huge ballroom, and you're right. Media Day just concluded. And you guys give me a sense. I mean, I, I, sometimes the trips kind of run together for me, man. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to go all over the globe and, and, and cover a bunch of events. Um, I mean, we knew going in this was going to be a smaller event, right? But, I mean, the media, the, the, the media turnout, I guess, that you guys and I have seen the last couple of days, 
it's got to be the smallest of any Australian show to date, right? I find, like, at these events, there's sometimes a little bit of jockeying. Like, people are kind of like, hey, I really want to get my camera in there because they're thirsty for the content. This is the most relaxed I've ever seen any of the media. Mm. Like, we actually heard that some of the media who were sort of offered, like, hey, do you want to come down and cover the event? They actually turned it down. Now, that could be for budget reasons. I'm not too sure. Maybe because you don't have these big star attractions. But the fact is, it is a really uh, a card that's really, really full of local talent. Right. And I, I think maybe sometimes the UFC thinks, hey, when we come to this country, that's what people want to see. They want to see their own fighters. Maybe, I, I don't know whether it's something they'll learn from. Maybe it just could not be uh, avoided. But I think the truth is, Australian fans, they love seeing their, their Aussie heroes get the wins. But really, when the big show comes into town, you know, when you know the Americans come into town, the UFC, they want to see international talent. You know, They want to see the guys they're seeing on TV. You know, The heroes, the Cain Velasquez, the GSPs, the, the Michael Bispings, the Conor McGregor, etc., etc. Cody McKenzie's. Cody <laughs> <Cutty> McKenzie's. <laughs> Blast from the past. Of course, of course, you know, those guys aren't, you know, I'm, I'm not expecting Conor McGregor to come down anytime soon, but like even in UFC Melbourne, like originally that was supposed to be in last November, right. that was supposed to be Rockhold and Jacare, right? People were really excited about that. So, you know, here with, you know, a guy like Vadum, who is from Brazil, doesn't really have any strong ties to Australia, and Martin Tabura, who is a Polish guy, doesn't have ties here, and sort of a low name, that being the marquee name, I just don't think it's, uh, you know, drawing drawing all that much attention here. I think the funny thing is, John, as well, is uh, football season's over, so the media over here really can get down here when the footy season's on what people don't realize is there's two codes there's the nrl there's the afl mm. kind of like rugby and this other crazy australian football league the real game the australian the real, real, football. real men play that one but um <laughs> our shorts are short and we have no padding flashback to me getting soccer kicked in the head in the lowest league possible <laughs> after losing for two years in a row but let's not talk about that um so you know they're not here and we know media members who actually live in sydney and they're still not here so it isn't a great sign to be honest with you to see such a low turnout. It's a, I mean, it's a bit disappointing, but the buffet is ours, John. I, Make I, no mistake. I think you'll agree. Like, uh, like we personally, we don't care. I'm sure you don't care. We all come in. We get our content. It is what it is. But it's just funny seeing like every every scrum, every open workout, well, there's really only two people asking it's questions. It's really us. Well, three. It's, 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 it's really been Yeah, us. it's literally well, all of us. You're right. I mean, at the end of the day, we're, we're going to get the content for Junkie regardless. But but you are right about it. I mean, I, I was, um, I don't know. I guess I was just a little surprised to see how few people were here that you know that there was just no media turnout whatsoever uh we should say that uh well, first let me just touch on the point and i think you nailed it and i don't think it's just australia i think it's every international market like the easy play is dude we got to get our hometown heroes and that's true like darren till going to liverpool great idea you got to do it i mean the hometown guy has got to get his moment of shine mm. but it's not over and over i mean i hear the european guys like hey man this is a cage warriors card or the brazil you know this is a jungle fight card like i've seen these people fight 10 times on the regional scene yeah. before they came here like i want to see the people i see on tv so i don't think that's just the the uh the the australian market but i do think that's key for the usc everywhere you, you know what's funny just quickly though it does sort of come full circle because like robert whitaker was a guy that you know he used to be another one of these guys staples on the card Right. And now everybody's thirsty for Robert Whitaker now because he's gotten that shine. He's the interim belt holder. Everybody's pushing and shoving. Please, can we have him for Perth? Whereas in the past, it was like, oh, great, Robert Whitaker. You know, we're happy with that. <laughs> right. Over the moon. Yeah. You know, all right. So let's talk, I should say, I did hear the ticket sales are pretty good. About 10,000 is what I'd that's heard. And that's good. before you get walk up. And mm. that's not bad for a fight night event. And I know that there's been bigger ones here with pay-per-views and things. But for a mm. fight night event, 10,000 seats is not bad. Um, how much did Hunt not being on the card impact the fact that media is not here? I think quite a lot because you get all the Kiwi uh, media coming down here from New Zealand. They'll probably want to cover that. A lot of Aussies connect with Mark Hunt. There's a big story going into that. So I think 
it, it really does impact it quite a lot. I think, um, you know, Mark Hunt's a pretty big name down here, and all these local uh, media sources really know who he is. So as soon as he was pulled from the car, I don't think people, <laughs> I don't think people know who Fabrizio Vadum is. What people don't realize is there was a news. Oh, We're going to get to this a little bit later, but the whole boomerang thing. There was a news report on the, on the biggest uh, morning show here on Channel Seven called Sunrise, and they uh, they basically said, uh, you know, two men who who came to attend the UFC event here in Sydney got an altercation in the hotel. They had no idea who Vadum. That, that no idea one of those headliners. Yeah, and I mean, that is pretty much for you. I mean, at Channel 7, would nobody know who Vadum is? I mean, it's just ridiculous. So they really don't know. They really don't know. That's the thing down here. It's not a mainstream sport, and people only know a few names. And Hunt is one of those names. Sure, Conor McGregor is one of those names. Robert Whitaker's sort of becoming one of those names. But even, even so, Mark Hunt's been around for a while, so that's why those media members do cover it. There's a bit of a relationship So you touched there. on it. Give me an idea what the temperature is in Australia because we think of, I mean, we think of Australia as a key market for the UFC, right? I mean, it is a pay-per-view market. Mm. Um, it's one that they've invested in heavily. Perth is open. You know, a pay-per-view is coming. So I guess from the outside looking in, we're like, oh, you know, things are – Things are really going good and it's heating up, but you're saying still very much fringe? I think it's it, it's because we're still missing those big marquee stars. I think Robert Whitaker could potentially be a big key to that. Uh, Mark Hunt sort of was, but you know he, he's getting older and he's a little bit further away from title contention, so I think it's a little bit harder to write articles on him, especially from a positive light. I think the media here, when covering Aussie fighters, is just very, very basic. They like those easy stories, you know, Aussie going for title hopes, that kind of stuff. I think that's why, like, when you... I remember UFC 193, when they made that announcement, like, that was a huge thing in Melbourne. And speaking to some of the Aussie media there, I was talking to a guy from, I think, like, maybe Channel 10, which is huge, huge, one of the big channels here. And uh, he said basically he had the choice in the morning of either covering some kind of taxi story or going to cover, you know, MMA being legalized in Melbourne. And he was like, oh, I guess I'll go with the MMA thing because that and sounds a little fired. bit more. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of Channel 10, that channel almost went out of business. Am I blaming the fact that he didn't cover the taxi story because of it? Yes, I am. But Might be. <laughs> but I, th I think I think like when media outlets uh, are sort of told, hey, you can cover, say, a Mark Hunt story, people go, oh, I know who Mark Hunt is. Okay, maybe I'll go cover that. But when they say we can cover, say, March into Bora or Fabrizio Verdum, mm. they say that sounds like an awful lot of research. I, I, I don't think I'll be covering that. Right. So, and, yeah. yeah. And just on that, like, I'm not sure how big the sport can get here. I think it's grown a lot since the beginning, but it's still a niche sport. And the main sports are always going to be the footy and the cricket and stuff like that. I think a lot of people are how big fans. How be bigger than cricket? <laughs> I know. Come and they on, get, they get yeah. like 100,000 people down at the MCG for their tests and stuff like that. But the thing is, um, Conor McGregor, guys like that, GSP, I think they're quite popular here now. People know who the, those big names are. But when it comes to the smaller cards, people don't really know much about it. Very ca A lot of casual fans, but there's no uh, more, I suppose, hardcore fans here. So they do like to watch a good fight, but there's a lot. That's the thing. In Australia, there's a lot of sports. A lot of sports. The soccer here has really grown after Australia got into FIFA once. And then out of nowhere, a whole soccer league appeared, the A-League. Mm. Um, AFL is big, and that's like a two-state two state sport. NRL is big. You know, you got other sports in between that. Boxing's big. Cricket's big. So there's a lot of tennis is huge. Uh, when the Australian Open comes down into town, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of stadiums. There's even we even have a basketball league. Can you believe it? That's crazy. It's called the NBL. It's we get all the really, really old players from the NBA. Is that right? Barely moving <laughs> Just get, yeah. Taking their victory lap UFC around. Yeah, yeah. Contracts yeah. to get them in there. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. People say it's sort of like the sports capital. It's not really the sports capital of the world, but it is the sports capital of this kind of area of the world where there's the Grand Prix. There's a lot of stuff happening all the time. So, it's hard for people 
to watch it on a sort of weekly basis and know who these guys like Covington are. And just to Casper's point with Robert Whitaker, I think it would have helped if Robert Whitaker was a guest fighter here because a lot of these local media sources might have come out. Just but he didn't want to be involved, right? He didn't want to be involved. He didn't want to be around. He didn't want to talk about it. That's a mistake. We were having a chat to his manager, actually, and his manager just said that because we wanted to do a little feature with him where we were going to go to a bar. and We're like, look, we won't talk about the GSP thing, but people don't really know who Rob is, and we just want to sit down and get to know him better right. because when you turn off the cameras, the guys are really he's really, really interesting. Yeah. But when you turn on the cameras, he goes very blank in the he's face. He's starting to get better, but it's still not much. He I feel like I like it. As much as I've talked to the guy, I feel like I don't know shit about him. Nah. When you turn the cameras off, he'll say all this great stuff. But when you turn it on, he goes into PR mode. He's afraid of saying anything wrong. And it's, it it's really hard Johnson. to get to know who he is. Mm, that's a, a great comparison. Johnson, yeah. It's taken Demetrius a long time to get yeah. to the point where, we're, where we now we feel like we know who the guy is. And he's had a lot of opportunities because Demetrius Johnson, you know, he kind of started as a champion, or at least when he came to Flyway, he was a champion almost straight away. And so he had so many pay-per-views that was headlining main events. And this is really like, you know, Rob Whitaker's first dig into – into this, I remember speaking to his. You spoke to his manager Dennis after he won uh, against Jacare. His manager was saying like, you know, Rob's kind of the flavor of the month, and everybody's after him. And I think that was the first time in his career that really happened. And you right. know what else? There's this thing down here called Tall Poppy Syndrome. You've heard about this? No. Uh, Australians don't like to talk highly of themselves. They don't like to build themselves up because in over here, if you go, oh hey, like. I'm really good and I'll knock everyone out. A lot of people see that as arrogance and they're not going to like you. It's called tall poppy syndrome. So if you hear like an interview from a football player or a cricket player, oh, how do you think you'll go on this match against that? They're always like, well, we'll do our best, you know, but they're a great team. You never hear anybody really go out of the way and say, oh, we're going to destroy them. It's a completely different culture, Danny. That's interesting. People really don't like it. And there's, I guess, like an old school notion here. And Robert Whitaker is definitely one of those guys. Jake Matthews is one of those guys. You'll notice when you talk to a lot yeah. of these, Alex Walker, is one of those guys. A lot Ties of these guys, as well. yeah, a lot of these guys, they will not go out there and deliberately talk trash because sure. of the culture here. It's crazy. That's interesting. All right, well, we got to talk USC Fight Night One Twenty One. But with all the things that you're saying in mind, I want to know what are you guys thinking for Perth? I mean, what do you? This is a big, a big Western Australia debut. Mm. Um, I think right away everybody thinks Robert Whitaker in a main event, right? But dude, I'm sorry, I it just my gut tells me GSP wants no piece of Robert Whitaker. Mm. I just don't see that, and especially to be the one that has to travel across the, the the globe to do it. I just can't see GSP coming down and doing that. So, uh, what are you guys hoping for? I mean, knowing that we have this event, you know, so far in advance, it's already been on the calendar. It's 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 been long awaited. What are you guys hoping for? Are you, are you hoping that a blockbuster gets put together? Or are, you, are you hoping it's Whitaker GSP? Or, or what's the realistic expectation? I'm really cautiously optimistic. I haven't gotten to the point where I'm really looking down the roster. I mean, February is still quite a while away. A we lot of fights to happen between now and then, right? What the, what the champions are going to be. You know, like UFC 217 changed, what, three champions? So we don't know what's going to happen <laughs> right. there. But, like, as far as Rob Whitaker versus GSP, I, I think that's, like, what, like a 5% chance? I know a lot of people got excited about that. And you're right, like, even Robert Whitaker being on the card, because if it does happen in say Montreal right. well then Rob's off the card right and then I think I think the only way Rob Whitaker's on the card is if say GSP definitively somehow makes a decision goes down and say well it's weight or lightweight or takes a break or whatever and then they say alright Robert Whitaker versus Luke Rockhold that's a possibility let's go fight you know and, and I think if that were the case GSP would have to relinquish the belt anything else to me at least would be kind of ridiculous right. and then you have Rockhold and Robert Whitaker for the you know the, the legitimate belt a vacant belt yeah. essentially that'd be a great main event and also I think while people would love to see GSP here, they wouldn't be too bummed out about that because, you know, 
I, I think there's a lot, a lot of legitimacy to that fight. You know, Rock Holt, obviously, top-tier guy, would have yep. been a lot of top guys like Romero and Jacare. So, and if that doesn't happen, I don't know. I hope we don't get like a UFC 127 situation where it was uh, John Fitch and BJ Penn. Right, just and the most random fight so ever. So random. And I remember we, we actually spoke to Joe Silva at that event, and he, he was really surprisingly honest. And he said, if it doesn't feel like it has a main event, it's because it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> that, that whole event just kind of came together. We had BJ Penn, John Fitch, and then we didn't really have a main event. So we just went, all right, we'll go with that as the Look main event. Look at that. Joe Silva yeah. keeping it real. Re- 110%. And now you real. know why he was never allowed to comment on <laughs> <Yeah>. record. <laughs> and now he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, let's talk about USC Fight Night 121. Uh, we'll talk about the card itself. But, um, I mean, you just can't deny, right? The, the, the story coming out of this week is the clash between Colby Covington and Fabrizio Verdum. And, uh, Thank you God. know, the, the charge. Yeah, I think we got, we got something <laughs> to click. Uh, no, I, I just kind of want to get your guys' take. I mean, I'm an, I'm a self-admitted uh, Colby Covington homer. Uh, just, sure. I, you know, I, I happened to be at his debut in Macau. He was one of the few English speakers on the card. So I met him right away at his very first fight. And he had that swagger. He had that, uh, you know, that presence about him from day one. And then his next fight was in Brazil. Again, he was one of the only English speakers on the card. So, you know, I was getting to know him very early in his UFC career. And he was always from the beginning saying, you know, I'm going to be great. Like, trust me, man, I'm going to be this guy. He was never like, well, I'm going to see how I do and hopefully I'll develop. He's like, no, I'm going to be a champion. And you can tell when you look in somebody's eyes, you know, whether they're hyping themselves up or they have, they had that confidence. Mm. He has it. So I always liked the guy. Has the interesting backstory of being uh, John Jones's uh, former roommate, you know, and obviously never a, a big fan of John Jones. Was always one to talk trash on the way. Um, so anyway, I, I, I like the guy and the whole shtick in Brazil. To me, I get it, man. I, I, I'm, I don't always love the WWE antics, but I get it. You know what I mean? I get you got to have something to sell a little bit. And he's trashing Brazil and trashing Damian Maia and and this and that. But then goes out and puts on a hell of a fight, um, and then. Sticks with it, and you know, I mean, we had the we had the the, the post fight interview in his hotel room. I mean, it was great. it was interesting, right? It was fun. It made the week memorable, right? But I will say, and I know we're still getting all the facts. I think, I mean, we've, I think at this point, all of us have talked to people that were there or that were watching, or, and I think we've heard a little bit more about what happened. Um, you know, there's some people saying a punch was thrown. I still haven't heard anybody that was there say that Verdum actually hit him. Um, but I don't know. You know, Kobe says there's still more tape to come out. So we still are learning some of the facts, but I guess what I'm saying is this, that even me, as a self-admitted Colby Homer, mm-hmm. feels like this was completely unnecessary, and I, and I just don't get it. Like, uh, talking trash and calling Brazilian animals when you're when – you're, and maybe that's wrong in itself. And, and I've heard a lot of people, and it's true, I've seen a lot of people on, on social media, they were like – you know, American media. Can you imagine if, you know, Habib came to America and was like, feel the American pigs, you know, and like, how would you react? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'd get it. It's I promo. I wish you'd do that. That would be so Wouldn't funny. that be great? He finally le- le- yeah, I mean, that would be <laughs> phenomenal. Uh, I, I guess we would probably react a little bit different. So I guess yeah. I can understand people that were offended. Um, but I don't know. This just felt like too much. Like, this is not a guy in your weight class. It's not a guy that you're ever going to fight. It's not a guy that your teammate's going to fight. You know what I mean? Like, you're not doing anything. It just mm. seems – completely unnecessary to be talking about Fabrizio Verdum. I think um, this is a big mistake by Covington. I mean, look, the thing was, he came out on this trip as a guest fighter to Australia. I think the UFC wanted to sort of have a look at, is this a guy that we can send out there? Is this a guy that we can trust as he's grown up the ladder and 
This is a great opportunity for him. The timing was great because this whole Tyron Woodley, Nate Diaz stuff was going on. This is going to be a great platform for him to talk about how he deserves the title fight, do a Q&A, you know, get an opportunity to get all his stuff out there, maybe get out some new promos, whatever he's right. been working on, and really still be in the headlines, which is his big, you know, goal. And he was just on our show last week, and that's where he said the stuff about John Jones and living with him. So... Everything was going really, really well for him. It was an awesome opportunity. He was finally being treated as, you know, one of these fighters of the UFC sees the future. And, and then he goes and picks a fight with Fabricio Vadum, exactly what you said. And now he's getting sent home. He's not going to be at the Q&A. He's missed out on his opportunity to be in the headlines because of uh, because of this whole Tyron Woodley situation. Who knows what's going on with the Woodley situation, right. by the way, because we right. don't know. Apparently, this Nate Diaz fight... It doesn't look like it's really going to come together. And if you're not with Nate Diaz and you're not with GSP and you go down the rankings and you see these guys have this feud and you're thinking, well, maybe, maybe this is the guy to choose for this fight because at least the feud's going to sell tickets. I agree. And this is a young guy that we can get behind. And then all this stuff happens. And then he puts out that. The, so he made a mistake with Vadum, sure. But the second mistake that he made was when he jumped on Instagram or whatever, put on that live video and started saying what he said and tried to save face. How do you catch yourself in your own stream? Incriminated himself. I yeah. mean, oh my because God, like that, that has been like the key word lately, right? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. been the hot topic lately. What happened was, and this is my analysis of the situation, I got together with a forensic team. As you know, we've got a forensic team here at Submission, Submission Radio. Submission Radio, Radio forensic team is strong, strong. There's a lot of accidents. There's a big forest here in Sydney. So we got the team together and... The initial footage of Vadum throwing the boomerang, it looked like Covington sort of backed off a little bit during that altercation, was sort of moving away. And I think he realized, hey, if I turn on my camera and if I say some mean stuff and I look tough, then I'm going to save face. And people are going to be like, look, this guy ran away from him. But because he was, I suppose, shaken a little bit, a little bit not in the right mind, he not said, thinking clearly. not thinking clearly, mm. he said the stuff that he said. And I think it even added more fire to the situation where the UFC is not only saying now, all right, this is a guy that could be a huge liability if he becomes champion because who knows what he's going to do. This isn't a guy that we can send out here and get media to cover him. Not only that, but then he says some derogatory stuff and adds to that fire and gets sent home, which is very embarrassing, I think, for him. All the way from Australia, he flies all the way here. We all know how long it takes. Flies all the way back, nothing accomplished. The police report, that's a big question mark as well. What exactly happened there? Was right. it necessary to put in this police report? Would it have been better for him to maybe figure this thing out behind the scenes and sort of stay away from well, putting in that report? Now, right, you're 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 inviting the police to be involved and maybe they yeah. say maybe they determine you were in the wrong and mm -hmm. you did something incorrect. You and know, you can't lie on those things. That's the thing. So he's very adamant that he got punched, but if it comes out that he didn't get punched, he gave a fake police report. I mean, this could be a lot of trouble brewing for Covington. I think the whole thing the UFC just see this as a giant pain in the ass. Like, I was reading an article today, I think it was in the Sydney Morning Herald, and, and this is sort of Australian media for you, like, just covering it very basically, and it, it wasn't necessarily a, a smear campaign for the UFC, but it's just one of those articles where you read and you think, like, if I don't know anything about the UFC, I'm looking at it in, in a bad sport. Like, when they, they write what Covington said, when you read about somebody throwing a boomerang, if you don't know anything about First UFC... First of all, it is pretty funny, right? That yeah, it's so funny. Funny. I mean, right? I mean, like, I had a kangaroo hop by yeah. or something. I mean, that's really... That is just so Australian. Like, a hundred years from now, people are going to be like, oh, old mate, this guy Vadum, he chucked a boomerang this other guy. It's going to be like stuff of legend. Right. Like an episode of The Simpsons. Yeah. But the, it, it just kind of takes me back to like, uh, you know, when media used to write about MMA and UFC a very long time ago, and they used to use those terms like cockfighting and cage fighting. And if you read this, you Not don't great. know it about the sport. 
sport. If you don't know some of the, you know, the more amazing and the beautiful moments in the sportsmanship, you're going to think, man, these MMA guys, they're just a bunch of idiots throwing boomerangs at each other, you know, calling each other derogatory, you know, anti-gay slurs and stuff like that. I think the funniest thing about it is, if you're going to start some kind of altercation, make sure there are cameras rolling and make sure there is actual media there. Right. Like, you know, like at least even if it's going to be impromptu you're or saying impromptu. If you're saying if, if it's like a promo- if you're basically just doing something for promotion only. Right. So, like, you know, if you'll say Chael Sonnen and you're, I don't know, doing a Q&A or something like that and then you want to, you know, fake shove somebody, like, do it, you know, in, at a weigh-in where, like, that you have the world's media there. But with Covington, like, he was in a hotel lobby or just outside of a hotel and, like, nobody was really there. So, like, if he had shouted something at Vadum, and let's say let's say nobody, you know, caught that on, on camera, like, it, what would he be accomplishing, basically? It, it, and now... That's I, what I don't get. I, that, I don't understand what the goal was. Like, what is the goal of, of calling him a Brazilian animal out there? Like you said, there's no... Uh, and it's like when you, when, it. you see, when you see his initial video and he's backing up, you kind of think, oh, this doesn't really look good. Like he's yelling at Vadum, but he's backing away. And then you see the other video, and it looks even worse because he looks like he's completely backing down. So in, in a sense, it's almost like Covington played himself. And then, like Dennis mentioned, the police report. I think, if anything, the UFC just sees this as, as a huge pain in the ass, bad media, bad press, and... I don't. Know, I, th- I think it's a learning lesson. Like you can be like Conor McGregor, go down to Brazil and do a Q and A and rile the crowd up. Right. And sure, they may want to kill you, but nothing actually happens. Or you can go here, you know, and get into an actual legal altercation and uh, you know just make things. Hard well, the for thing is, he, you know, he was in the pro wrestling he, with Impact Wrestling. I think he wants to be a heel, but he just went overboard and he yeah. does That's a good point. They're doing that. They're doing that he, that he, pro wrestling thing yeah. right now. You think it's kind of bleeding in a little 100%. too much? And I think he thinks this is all. This is great. I'm being a good heel, but the key to being a good heel, and this is coming from somebody who uh, knows a little bit about pro wrestling here, the Eric Bischoff's here of the room. Um, the key to be a, being a good heel is you can't just go out there and just say, hey, you're this and you're that and you're that. You have to have constraint and it has to make sense. He's just went, went overboard, went up to Vudum. There was no reasoning behind it. He just thought, I'm just going to be a heel. We all know that he really doesn't hate Brazil. He's just trying to build up his name. He's just trying to do this thing. But at the same time, you have to be smart about it. Chael Sonnen mm. and Conor McGregor, they're smart about how they throw their trash talk out. It all has purpose and it has meaning and they're trying to get somewhere. And then I think he thinks, I'm just going to attack everybody. Mm-hmm. Anybody that's in my way, I'm going to attack. And there's consequences to that because you're crossing over from being a heel to being an asshole to people thinking, you know, not liking you. Because if you're a heel, I'm sure you're playing a bad guy. But people think, oh, that's kind of cool. I kind of want to listen to that. Right. But when you cross over that line and you really start insulting people and you're just attacking everybody, you just kind of come off like one, one, like one of those drunk jerks at the bar that goes over the board and thinks they're being funny. You know, no one likes that guy. Oh, come on, man. You don't got to make this personal. <laughs> uh, <no. laughs> All right, no, listen. All right, so you brought up the name Conor McGregor. And, you know, we normally tape on Thursday night. So the, the road show was in the books last week. So I have not had a chance to really talk about the Conor McGregor situation. I wanted to mm-hmm. do a, a half episode after Virginia last week because that was a phenomenal card. But uh, I was also about to be gone from my family for two weeks, and I decided I better spend time with them. Uh but I want to talk to you guys about the Conor McGregor situation as well in Dublin because I feel like, first of all, I feel like having these incidents just a few days apart, mm-hmm. they, they really kind of echo each other a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, I, and I think it's a little bit frustrating because I think, you know, even though you mentioned Conor McGregor as being one of the guys that's on point, that's been measured, that's done a fantastic job, I feel like in recent weeks, you know, I was in Poland. I saw him at the Artem Lobov fight, you know, walking around the cage, and, and, and I kind of gave him a pass. I said, listen, I mean, he's wrong. I mean, mm. that, that arena was on lockdown because of the concerns, you know, and for him to be wandering everywhere, I mean, it, it was a bad look, you know. But Mark Otter handled it correctly, and then there was all the backstage stuff. 
But in Dublin, man, I just can't make an excuse for this guy. And I have loved chronicling the rise of Conor McGregor. It's been a, a phenomenal, phenomenal rise. I mean, for a guy to go in four years from being on welfare to collecting a $100 million check against Floyd Mayweather where you're like, that's never going to happen. And he basically wills it into existence. It's been incredible. But I tell you what, this thing in Dublin, you know, jumping the fence and, and, and shoving Goddard, okay, bad enough. Then the the one that really got to me was the slapping the Bellator official. Yeah. Like, dude, that to me, that's even worse than shoving Goddard. Like, you can say you have history with Goddard. You can say Goddard made a poor decision as a referee, which I don't think he did. You can say that. You're still wrong because you weren't you weren't licensed and you had no business being in there whatsoever. But uh, okay, I'll let, but slapping the official that's just asking you to get off the cage because that's his job to ensure the integrity of the cage. No excuses right there whatsoever. And then even the apology afterwards, man. I'm sorry. Like, God, like I said, it's been a, it's been an honor following Conor McGregor's career. He's a fantastic athlete, but that apology rang so hollow for <laughs> me. And and I thought to 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 say that uh, to 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 invoke you know the the death of a fighter to to say that that was going through your mind. Like, I'm sorry when you ran in and jumped on Charlie Ward and pulled guard on him to celebrate. I didn't see concern in your eyes that you know mm. something bad was you know when the entire you know, melee now went to the injured fighter and almost knocked. That did not, you know, show concern to me that you were worried about the state of this young man. So I don't know, man. I I just kind of wanted to get your guys' take on that, first of all, and just see if, man, the, 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 these two incidents kind of happened a few days apart. If it isn't kind of, I don't want to say souring you a little bit. I mean, you guys are, like I said, some pro wrestling fans, and, and the promotion is needed here. Sure. But uh, ex-pro wrestling. God, it's, uh, I don't know, man. It is it is kind of the, these back-to-back things. And you guys talked to a lot of fighters. I heard it in some of the interviews you were doing that I think were saying the same thing. And Fabrizio Verdum was going out there saying, I'm, I'm sick of this. Mm. It's I, interesting. Yeah, look, I, I think there's a, there's a lot of fighters who are sick of trash talk and things like that. And I think a lot of them... You know, you can take it with a grain of salt because, well, I, I understand that whole thing. Some of them don't really understand promotion and stuff. But to me, this whole thing just smelt and and reeked of uh, Conor McGregor just being drunk with power. And I, I don't or just say drunk. that. Yeah, well, exactly, <laughs> drunk with power and literally drunk. I think sort of he's he's at this point where he's kind of believing his own hype. I think it's one thing to go into Brazil and say, uh, and I mean, in a lot of ways, the hype is justified, but it's in one it's one thing to say, look, I own Brazil, I run Brazil, I own boxing, I run boxing, but he's sort of getting to the point where he does think he's, uh, you know, almost above the law in yes. a sense. Not the literal law, but, you know. Oh, the, the, bigger the, than the sport. The MMA law, yeah. yeah. It's kind of, well, yeah, like, I, I, like it's one thing, his whole, I guess, apology rests on the fact that um, he felt the fight should have been stopped, and he thought that Mark Goddard didn't stop it. And he, in in a way, it was almost like he was trying to paint himself as the hero, like he was trying to stand up for something, you know, the the, the good of the sport yes. in a way, yes. right? But then when you're when you're on the the cage and a Bellator official is trying to get you off, and you slap him in the face, it, it just reeks of I can do whatever I want yes. at any time, and not you or anybody's gonna, any, you know, anyone's gonna stop me. It's like the Stone Cold of, of uh, mm. Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> it's, oh, yeah, X-Fan. I had to. I I had to. It was there. Fan. It, it, always, it always goes back to pro wrestling. Um, and, you know, you, you could see he slapped that belt to official and then immediately started celebrating with Charlie Watt. It just honestly seemed to me like a guy having a really good time without any concern for anyone else or anything. you got to feel bad for John Redman in the situation. Mark Goddard, phenomenally spoken guy, had a great Facebook uh, mm. post and statement. 
he made a lot of good points about how John Redman uh, was, you know, out of it. He was in a bad way, and he needed medical attention. And Goddard couldn't do his job and and tend to him. And I see a lot of fans saying things like, you know, oh, Goddard shouldn't be the the security. And I like I love the way that Goddard puts it, kind of make himself sound like, you know. I'm the law in there. This is my cage, and I will control it. And I think a lot of people take that incorrectly and think, oh, he's so egotistical. Look at this prick. But he's only speaking in a matter-of-fact way. Like, yep. there, it is someone's job to keep things safe, right? Like, right. I think we would all agree, fans of, of you know... Any fan would agree. You don't want someone random like a fan running to the cage and spoiling the action, right? Okay, well, who's going to stop that? In this case, it is John, you know, uh, Mark Goddard. Yep. And uh, I, th- I think he did his job phenomenally. And I think this is kind of a hopefully a wake up call for Conor McGregor. And I think it kind of reminds me of John Jones and and these guys who ascend the top levels of the sport or, or any profession. And I think you know we as human beings we always want to test our limits and, and push ourselves. And I think that you know when stuff comes so easy, yeah. not to say that Conor McGregor you know didn't work hard, well, he worked extremely he hard. But I think it's kind of like you know he wanted to be the champion, he became the champion. He wanted to be a dual champion. You know he wanted the Mayweather fight, he wanted money, and it's kind of like he has everything in his life. Like he could just reach out and grab whatever he wants. And I think he wants to see like what can't I have? Right. Is there anything in this world that I can't have? Like, I a, think, like a toddler testing the limits, of, you know. Kind I mean? of. Like, like, if, if I do, can I jump in the cage? Can I do what I want? Can, can I do a dance? Can anybody stop me? Can I slap an official? So I'm hoping that this is kind of the end of his, you know, not downward spiral. Sure. But I hope this is a wake-up call. I yeah. hope this doesn't end up like John Jones where, you know, he keeps seemingly learning lesson after lesson after lesson and then the same thing keeps happening again and again and again. But, I agree. But, but just I think also the big difference is he's got over $100 million, right? Yeah. He is bigger than the sport. And who's going to rein him in? Uh, me and Casper did an Australian tour with John Kavanagh last year. We went to two locations. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> Tickets on sale now. <laughs> well, it sounds better when we say it that way. And um, one of the things that I kind of learned as we were doing these multiple shows with John sold out venues, of course, and people didn't <laughs> know who it we were, by the way. more than one, so that is multiple Security shows. Was like, you know, who I There's a DVD coming. On. Yeah, there's a DVD and Blu-ray features as well. But um, what I... I mean, if you look at Conor McGregor's history, this guy has had problems with authority through, throughout his whole life. Um, if you look through uh, John Kavanaugh's book, he's done a whole bunch of stuff when he was on the lower circuit, such as going to hotels, getting bunches, bunch of drinks, running, running a out, bar hat up that he couldn't yeah. even pay. Running out, a, a whole bunch of stuff. He owed him money. He was supposed to give him, he didn't give him the money. All, all, all sorts yeah, of stuff. Yeah, he detailed all that stuff yeah, in the book. Yeah, and um, the person that was the Winter authority... Winner, on shelves now. Yeah, it's, it's a good book. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, and um, not better than uh, Masvidal's meditation book, probably, but that's okay. <laughs> and um, that's an interview that you guys need to check out at MMA Junkie or Submission Radio. But the thing is, maybe Submission Radio. And I was going to say, the thing is, the authority figure there was John Kavanaugh, right? Because uh, Conor McGregor didn't have $100 million. He wasn't the biggest figure in the sport. Now he is the biggest figure in the sport. Conor McGregor believes he's the biggest figure in the sport, and he can do whatever he wants. Uh, who's going to be the person that reigns him in, right? Because... Right. Uh, if you're the UFC, you need Conor McGregor. Is Dana White going to say, oh, hey, mate, you're not going to get a fight ever again in the UFC? I think Conor McGregor would be like, all right, sweet. I'm just going to go over to boxing. Is boxing going to say we're never going to give you a fight? I don't think so. Nope. Don't do anything. So he doesn't have an authority figure. There's no one that can control him. What are we going to do? You know, we can we can dislike it, but at the end of the day, he gets the clicks. He gets the things moving. He makes the money. He's going to be able to do whatever but he that's wants. that's not if okay, runs, right? I know, I know. That's but if he okay. runs into the here and he starts slapping us around, he'll be fighting tomorrow. You know what I mean? If he had a boomerang, he could probably throw it and come back and destroy us all. He'd be, you know. know. The thing is, this guy, 
guys like John Jones, they, they make good money, but they don't make the kind of money that Conor McGregor's made. This guy has the ability to be completely individual, to do whatever he wants. He's got the money to do it. He doesn't need us. Well, I'm, and I'll tell you what, I'm disappointed with the UFC in this situation, okay? Uh, this situation with Colby Covington happened. Mm. They had a statement out in two hours. Now, listen, it's a it's a corporate PR statement through and through. It says nothing. It literally just says, we are aware of this incident. We will be investigating. We'll get back to you. You know, it's like, fine. At least, you know, you're admitting, acknowledging, right? Mm. We still haven't heard a word from the UFC. Like, we hear that he was pulled off UFC 219, Which and I heard. I think it's a lie. I think it's a lie. I'd <laughs> heard it was possible, but I think it's a lie, too. Come on. But here's the thing. We didn't even hear it from the UFC. <laughs> we heard it from Mike Mazzulli in the commission, Man, right? That's, so, I mean, that's like an excuse you give your girlfriend and you can't go on a date with her. Uh, you know, I'm sick, and you go out with your friends. Like, it's just a way to get him off off their backs. Yep. They probably thought, oh, we'll just say he was supposed to be on UFC. Well, I, I think, you know, the commission, because they have the power to um – you know, hand down a suspension to Conor McGregor potentially. And, you know, if anything, they want to prove a point. They want to hit him somewhere where it hurts. And uh, I think maybe, you know, this is this is if if the UFC even said this to Mike Mazzulli or, or, or put out a rumor through the grapevine that, hey, man, we're, we're taking him off UFC 19, right. 219. Maybe they're hoping that the commission will say, oh, he's taken off. All right, he'll learn a lesson. He's already they been really hit. hit him we, in the pocketbook there. We, we won't give him a suspension. Maybe that's what they're hoping How for. If, if that's even happened. Yeah. Well, it is weird Not because, listen, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> You know, I don't know how you do something that because to me, I just, I just, it, I, it can't go unchecked. That behavior cannot go unchecked. It can't. But I mean, what are you gonna do? Find him? I mean, how much are you gonna find him? First of all, like, I mean, he just made a hundred million. Mm. So if you wanted to do something that mattered, what would you do? Find him like a million, which would still only be one percent, yeah. and that would be really shady to find somebody a million dollars. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Relationship and everything yeah. at the same time. And then, so I mean, I, I, you know, I guess you could say we, you know, we're not gonna uh, license you for six months, which I think would be fair. I mean, if you said we're not gonna license you for six months, that would probably cost him one fight. That would, I mean, that would cost him one fight. It would. But, I mean, the UFC, are they going to be cool with that? Because they want that money. They need that money. So, it's such a hard position. I don't know what the right answer is, but I don't think the right answer is for everybody to just go like, ah, it's Connor. We just got to live with it. You know what well, I mean? And, and, and there is a precedent for these kinds of things. Like, Roy Nelson, you know, he, he got a punishment after he had his right. incident with Big John McCarthy. Right. And I think, like, you know, when you look at that situation, he was – uh, it it was somewhat playful, like you know, Big John. He, he it was. was. He was never trying the to kick hurt was Big playful. John. McCarthy. No, he was. Yeah, wasn't. you know, he was never trying to do damage. It was wrong though. You don't kick an official, but it wasn't like a full-on soccer kick. Or and, something. and I think when you watch the video, I think that the, one of the most annoying things about it with Conor McGregor is a lot of it just looked like show. Like when he ran up to Mark Goddard. Did, did you did, see it him did look pulling like, back? It did look like, is nobody grabbing me? Yeah. yeah. Somebody was yeah, supposed yeah, to be yeah, grabbing yeah. me, right? Like, he didn't really want to fight Mark right. Goddard. It, it was like the Eddie Alvarez chair situation. He didn't really want to f throw a chair at him. He right. was just kind of like I'm going to lift the chair. Security Steve, make back. sure you got yeah. me. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> Security Steve, are you in position? Yeah. All right, cool. I'm going to go. <laughs> Three, two, one. Catch me. And then, uh, so I think, I think that's what's annoying. It also took away from Charlie Ward's win. Mm. That's the other really annoying thing about it. Um... I, I, I had a point. But I'm you got to look. You got to look at <laughs> athletes. <laughs> Dennis, take over. You I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let you collect your thoughts for a second. But let's have a look at um, athletes as popular as Conor McGregor in history. Most of them have had a downfall. I mean, when you right. get up to the top, you become the biggest star in the world. That's not normal. Right. That's not good mentally. Like we're not supposed to be on the cover. Uh, even though you you are, you're a big star over here. Oh the yeah, shirt. massive, massive. <laughs> no one knows do, who do we you are. Have, do you know how many fans come up to you at open workouts that we see? They're like, guys, guys. We're like, here we go. And guys, they're like, can guys, you hold can you get camera? John Morgan, please? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Literally <laughs> happened <laughs> yesterday. Can you hold? 
<laughs> Never been so crushed camera. in my life. Guys, can you I think hold they my said, water while I get a And, and they were like, we know who you are, like right in front of us to John. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, just uh, don't give up your day job, kids. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, um, if, if you're on the cover of everything, you've got that much money. Most of the guys have downfalls. Right. You know, well, Mike you said Tyson, it. Like, it's not natural to yeah, not have yeah. any power and, and not and have any yeah. limitations. Everybody, like, uh, the biggest sporting stars in the world have had some major, major mental problems. And we may be seeing Conor McGregor just not being able to handle being the biggest star in the world. And it's just really difficult to tell what's going to happen for me because, you know, historically, movie-wise, the movie would say he had his rise, he had the fight, he lost the fight. Now this is where the decline's going to come in, he'll lose all his money, he'll, I don't know, do questionable decisions, become friends with Dennis Rodman, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so, you know. We need that's that not even, but that's, that's still a lot better than my life, so I can't complain. <laughs> but the thing is, you know, that could happen. I don't know where this is going to take him. I think his relationship with Dana White is very strong, and I think it maybe is. Dana White's the one that does it. I don't think John Cavanaugh has the ability to do anything like that. I think a lot of these guys in his team realize they're along for the ride. There's a lot of money to be made, and they're not, from what I understand, they're not really, they can't really tell him what to do. Yeah, so it's yeah. got to be a Dana White, uh, an authority figure in his life. Maybe maybe his wife. I don't know, man. It's, it's really difficult. He's had the kid as well. Like... I do too. It's been so fun to follow his ride, and I don't, I don't want to it start could, resenting the guy. Yeah, but it, it could be. It, this could be the downfall. This could be where it all starts falling apart. Maybe he does lose his next few fights. Maybe you know, you just, you don't know. And it's, and it's not the same, but like you know, I was there for the Jason High incident as well. So I, I was cage side for the Roy Nelson. Yeah, I was cage side for the Jason High, and the Jason High incident. I mean, like literally, the dude, he did push the official. He did. There's no question about it. But it was like he had just gotten TKO and he was rocked and he was and it wasn't even like a shove. It was like one of those like get away from me, you yeah. know, like it's uh, like a come on, man. Yeah, it was yeah. one of those, you know. And then you know he's gone for life, you know. And I, I don't know. So obviously, you know, the UFC's that, not in a position to cut Connor. And that's the precedent. No. And that's what I was saying before. Like I remember Dana White's words because they were very strong. And he says, "You don't ever put your hands on an right. official. You don't ever do that, and you don't ever come back from yeah. that." And like you mentioned, he's still not back with the company. So in a sense, now the pressure's on Dana and the UFC. All right, well, if you never put your hands on an official, yeah. well, that's exactly what Conor McGregor did. He and put he his hands the on the back the and slapped that's, an official. That's the, you know, I'm not, I'm not one of those like whingy, like, you know, th but that's technically assault. I'm it not, is. I'm not saying throw him in jail. I'm you can file saying, charges. But yes. you could technically. And if you're that Bellator employee, why would you not file charges? He ain't right. your golden goose. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He's not your company's Maybe number one. Maybe you got one, one of them suits, free suit. I'd yeah. file charges all day. So, all right. Well, listen, enough about Conor McGregor. Uh, let's talk about UFC Fight Night 121. Uh, Fabricio Verdum versus Marcin Tibura. Mm. Um, talk to me a little bit, guys, because I was saying this last night. We, we do our media picks for, for MMA Junkie. And, I, you know, listen, I mean, Fabricio Verdum, there's no question. He's one of the best heavyweights of all time. Sure. Right, I mean, you could put his resume up against anybody's. Mm -hmm. uh, you could call him the best heavyweight grappler of all time, one of the best heavyweights of all time. I mean, he has done it all. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, he is forty, right? I mean, at, at some day, at some point, things have got to catch up with you. And I did want, you know, Tabura is, is is a little bit tougher than I think most people give him credit for. Um, I, I think he's going to make this competitive fight. He's got a great attitude, a great mindset. Definitely does not seem caught up by the moment. Training at Jackson's, which is a mm -hmm. nice thing. Excuse me, and add in the fact of all the distraction of the Colby Covington stuff. Add in the fact that you know here's this little tiny card in Sydney that nobody's paying attention to. I don't know, like in some ways, that it kind of feels like one of those little trap moments to me. You know, where like the the guy that should win should have won, but maybe didn't necessarily take things as seriously as he should have, and, and he gets slipped up on a little bit. At the end of the day, I still pick Fabrice over Doom. I mean, those are all just theories. Those mm -hmm. are all just considerations. But how are you guys feeling about this main event? Uh, well, this is a bit of a Gossip Girl situation. But after the open workouts, 
we did see Fabrizio Vadum get some burgers from where we were having burgers before. Oh. So that's right after the Shout open out workouts. To BL burgers. What does that yeah. mean? What does that mean? So it how seriously? He's got good taste in burgers. That's I guess. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> case closed. I had, a, I had a bit of a situation myself. I had to run to the bathroom from the supermarket because of those burgers. Oh. But I went to Wild Man. The poutine burger. Yeah, man. It was amazing. Hang, hang this could be like a Diego there. Sanchez situation. Uh, Fabrizio is at the post like press conference. Like, it's what like, happened? Yeah. Why'd you lose, dude? It was, it was you the know, poutine like, burger, beef, man. Beef the BL burgers. Yeah, but I mean. It could be a situation where he's not taking Tabura uh, seriously. It is a quick turnaround. I think, you know, he understands that he can take him down and submit him. So if that's a situation there, then yeah, then I think, you know, there could be an upset that happens on the weekend. But it's just hard to go past him. He still looks like he's in decent shape. And um, it's still hard not to imagine him winning this fight. Yeah. I, th I think, John, you brought up some really, really good X factors as far as, you know, what could potentially happen. Uh, I think that, I think that's great insight. I, I think the, the thing about X factors, though, is like they're sort of hit and miss. Like yeah. they, they may happen or they may not. And we really won't know un un until we see and the fight. And they don't sell many albums. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you, if, but if you look sort of historically, you look at the guys that, you know, Martin Tabor has lost. I mean, he lost to Timothy Johnson. That was about a year ago. Mm. And hey, fighters improved. Yep. But Timothy Johnson is nowhere near the level of Fabrizio Verdum. And, right. and in, in recent history, actually not even recent history, for the last, like, what, seven years or so, Fabrizio Verdum really only loses to the best guys. Right. I mean, he's beaten some of the best dudes in the sport. You know, Kane Velasquez, obviously, Fedor Milenko years ago. Uh, you know, Kane Velasquez. He even, even Alistair Overeem, who is in a very, very good part of his career. Yep. He had Alistair Overeem in some trouble at the end of that fight. I mean, you see even, even the striking, the difference of the open workouts and throughout their careers. Fabrizio Verdum looking, you know, very sharp, very loose. Martin Tabura still sort of in that, I guess he's finding his striking, that developmental stage. You can see sometimes he's a little bit off balance. Um, he, he just isn't as smooth or, or, or flowy as some of these other guys. He doesn't have that veteran experience. Um, and I think with Fabrizio Verdum, just technically he's better ever. He's better on the ground. He's better in terms of experience. And I think fighting so soon, he's he's in. Uh, you you would think he's in very good shape, right? You know, fighters like when they have that pre-fight anxiety, and then they they go fight again a few weeks later or a month later. I think that's what most fighters would pr uh, yeah. prefer, right? Like, you hear fighters all the time, even you because you don't have to get out of that camp shape and then yeah. back in the camp shape, mm. and yeah, and, and and you know, yeah, like fighting obviously not every week, but every month or so. I think fighters, you know, really like that. So unless Fabrizio Verdum kind of said, you know what, I'm in really good shape, like yeah. I can take the gas off the pedal, I can have a few burgers, I can fight in a month, and I'll still be in pretty good shape. Um, but I don't know, man. Like, I even he said he's been here for two weeks. Yeah. This seems like a pretty focus for Brito Verdum to me. You know, like before Cain Velasquez, where he was there for, what, six weeks in Mexico, doing all the right things. Two weeks, that's a long time yeah. in another country, flying all the way here. I mean, I don't I don't know whether, you know, he's paying for that or, or the UFC is helping him with that. But if he's paying his own bills here, putting himself up, putting his team up, he's got a bunch of rowdy Brazilians, you know, Babalu, I'm sure he's getting in on those burgers, <laughs> all those wild hairstyles. He did walk out and, and, right and, next to me with a couple of boxes, I will say. <laughs> And a wild denim jacket. That's a full-time job. So if he's if he's paying that much money, I don't think he's going to let that go to waste. I think he's doing all the right things. And um, I don't know. Look, I, he'll I, probably I, win in 10 seconds, John. Yeah. <laughs> no, listen. Verdun's a favorite. I just like, you know, Tabura wins, that'll be good, though, I think. Because I like Tabura. That, yeah, has he at least good. impressed you a little bit? I mean, he with has. his boys. Yeah. 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 He's great at doing the interviews. Yeah. He's been uh, he's been great around the media. We've interviewed him like 100 times because we're the only media here. He's still open to it. <laughs> he was wearing a nice white shirt today. He tucked it into his pants. That's a, I think we've that's a European had, thing. I you think know? we've each literally interviewed him three times. Yeah, we actually yeah. have. In the last two days, nonetheless. He's, he's a great guy, you know. So it's going to be interesting. Look, I, I'm happy that he got the opportunity. And look, Mark Hunt, that's a tough fight to have, at least with this fight. If you win, you 
beating a guy that's ranked right up there. So it's a uh, it's a good thing. I I will say one last X factor just on on Fabrizio Verdum. Like the the way the place he is in his career, where he knows that this is his last chance to get a title shot. I don't think he's taking any chance or taking anybody lightly. Not not much in bureau. Okay, guys. Then our co-main event: Jessica Rose Clark, Jesse Jess, as she's known. Against Beck Rawlings in a flyweight fight, mm. um, I kind of want to get you. Of course, this course was supposed to be Joanne Calderwood, uh, a, a bigger name opponent. But I will say, I think uh, Joanne Calderwood's uh, reputation isn't quite as high as maybe it was at one time. And a couple losses, a couple stumbles along the way. So I know this was a loss of kind of a high-profile opponent. But um, uh, another Australian comes in, kind of interesting. You get the, the two Aussie chicks uh, facing off against each other. So I'm sure the atmosphere will be pretty fun in there. But I just want to ask you first. I mean, Jessica uh, Rose Clark, Jesse Jess. Not a not a huge name in in in, in the domestic community in, in the United States. Of course, we've we've known mm-hmm. her a little bit, um, but does she register at all here, or is this you know somebody that's still kind of making her her, her way in the? MMA I think community? it's more of a hardcore fan type mm-hmm. of thing. Definitely no casual fans. No, so it's going to be an introduction for a lot of people. And I wouldn't even be surprised if uh, people didn't follow this card and thought she was American up until the time she walked out. <laughs> that's the that's Fair the level enough. of uh, name value that she's got. I think down here at the moment. She is a local to Sydney, so I think. That works in her favor. I think there's going to be a lot of people uh, from her gym coming down. Um, she has faced some veterans in the past. You know, she she took a loss to Sarah Kaufman, uh, but she did come back and beat Karina Dam in her right. last fight. And that was in Damn. August. So, yep. you know, coming coming fresh off a win. Um, See what you did there. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I think to be honest, this is sort of a this kind of reminds me of um, Karolina Kowalkiewicz and uh, Jody Escobel right. in the sense that Jesse Jess is obviously vastly in, uh, she has a lot less experience sure. compared to Beck Rawlings who's obviously been a UFC mainstay for quite I, a while I'll tell you what I mentioned it to Beck yesterday and I think this is a, a big big fight for Beck Rawlings because first of all it's amazing when you look at her UFC record she's had all her success fighting here in Australia right she's struggling yeah. when she's fighting abroad but you know she has been the one that's been banging the drum for 125 pounds yep. you know one of the biggest you know voices out there saying I am killing myself to get down to one Fifteen, mm. uh, you know, I, I've got to get this one twenty-five. So I don't want to say pressure on her, and she said it best when I asked her. She said, "Look, there's pressure in every fight. I've, I've got to win." But I almost feel like this is a key fight for her because she's been saying, "Hey, listen, the problem is I can't have one twenty-five. Mm. If she comes out of one twenty-five and she's flat, now you go." Come on, where are you at? Mm. Uh, should say, too, uh, it kind of brings up an interesting point. Uh, we didn't get to speak to uh, Beck Rawlings or Jesse Jess at Media Day today because they were both uh, handling some extra medicals and stuff. And, and it sounds like a lot of guys on the card. The commission has kind of made some changes. And uh, kind of interesting that, you know, people were having to scramble a little bit to get their medicals done. And looks like, you know, kind of higher levels of caution being taken, different regulations. So good, I guess, that the Australian commission is continuing to – keep their commitment to, to, to high-quality mixed martial arts and fighter safety. Yeah, definitely right. And I think uh, from what we've seen of Beck this week, she's been really relaxed and she's been Looks looking like she's, different. Yeah, she's looking a lot different. So that's I think that's the interesting thing about this uh, whole flyweight thing. It's kind of like I get this feeling about how anything can go. Like we know how these some of these fighters fought at the lower weight class, but now this is their optimal weight. Beck has talked about how much this weight cut has affected her. So... You know, a lot of fighters say that. Uh, you know, we've we've heard it a hundred times. So now we'll see this weekend if it's really the factor, if if, if it's something else. But she definitely looks happier. She looks happier, and uh, you know, she's got a bit of a following. I think if she does get a few wins behind her, she could be you know quite popular down here as well. Sure. She's she's popular as is now, so it's going to be very interesting. I think there are no losers here in terms of uh, the UFC though, because whoever wins here, especially if it's a dominant win, though, they may have. Almost a new a new uh, future star on their hands because both Australian girls yep. both both marketable so 
Should be good. Uh, Tim means below Muhammad. Mm-hmm. This one gets you excited, right? I mean, I, to me, I'm you know I'm looking at this one, I think. You know, you always have those ones on the card. You're like, that's that's possible fight of the night right there, yeah, right? And I mean, yeah. this one to There's me looks like it's going to be actually. a lot of fun. There are a few, but this mm. is one to me that stands out. Tim Means, Bilal Muhammad. I'm excited. Now, talk to Tim Means this week. Uh, first of all, he had some trouble getting down there. He missed his flight, had some delays. Uh, but he said he was fine. He was good to go. But interestingly enough, he said uh, he doesn't think that, that Bilal is going to stand with him. He said, listen, after Bilal suffered a couple losses, um, that he thinks Bilal is, is basically kind of turned into a, a punch and then pushed into a takedown kind of guy. And that's what he thinks is coming. I don't know, man. When Bilal's on point, he can strike. I'm hoping mm. that these two guys uh, do stand toe to toe. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm down for any Tim Means fight, and um, I'm, you know, I've been, a, I've been a fan of Bilal's for a while, and like when, originally when we heard the JT money was out, I was a little bit disappointed because obviously he's a really interesting guy and somebody that I really wanted to in, uh, interview personally. So right. in a selfish way, I was disappointed, but man, Tim Means, uh, he's a really exciting fighter, really exciting stand-up fighter. So I think this is definitely going to be a banger. Yeah, I'm interested to see how Bilal looks in this fight as well, because like you said, this is a great fighter, but at the same time, this is going to be a big test for him. I almost feel like this fight has kind of gone under the radar a little too. bit. I don't think people overseas... I don't overseas, know why, but I do too. Yeah, I don't think people overseas realize this fight is happening. I think people are going to be in for a nice surprise if they tune into the card this weekend to actually see it's happening. But both guys, uh, you know, both guys are going to go in there and it's going to be a very, very interesting fight. Tim Means, he's going through this whole thing, you know, with the supplement company and uh, everything going on around that. Uh, he was supposed to fight uh, Cowboy Cerrone. I'm sure he still wants that fight. I'm sure he wants to put on a big dominant display and get a big name fighter. And Bilal Muhammad, I think, with a win over Tim Means, I think that could do a lot for his credibility in the UFC as well. So I did a, I did an interview uh, earlier this week with Tim Means and, and, and touched up on that and followed on it. I, I love the fact that Tim Means is going through legal uh, issues with, you know, this supplement company. And with all we hear about tainted supplements, right? I mean, if you're going to say that you are the victim of tainted supplements, then then prove it, right? Go go to court. Mm. Get it done. Stand behind your claims. I love the fact he says, listen, man, this cost me. He estimates it cost him $200,000 when you when you add in uh, lost revenue opportunity plus legal fees, all that sort of thing. And he's like, I'm, I'm coming after it. I, dude, I love that attitude because, I mean, it is. There are such things as tainted supplements out there, and I think sometimes it's easy to go, oh, Jesus Christ, here's another person saying tainted supplements. But if you really believe that you're the victim of tainted supplements, go after them in court. I love it. Yeah, I really like it. I think it's a, it's a great thing that he's doing it. And that's the most frustrating thing with these supplement companies. I mean, you just don't know what you're taking. So I think with guys like him making a stand, doing this kind of stuff, it really makes a case for these supplement companies to be more careful of what they do. I think Something's more fighters need to come together on that on that point because, I mean, it is a huge, huge impact there. You know, we know JT Money is suffered uh, a suspension as well. There was yep. a USADA issue there, and he spoke about how he was confused as to uh, thinking that it's going to cost him money to try and appeal it, so he just decided to leave it alone. But, I mean, that is the fact, though. Like A lot of these fighters don't have the money. If you do get caught in one, one of these USADA situations, people you don't realize... You can appeal, but you have to pay for the appeal. And people don't realize it costs money to go through this process. you got to get lawyers. you got to appeal to stuff. You might want to get stuff tested. It's not cheap. So if you're a guy that's on the fringe of the UFC or on a, on a basic contract, sometimes it's just easier to take a blow to your neck and just you know take take to cop it on the chin and, and take a break for those months but that's not fair especially if it's due to a dodgy supplement I, I hope that Tim actually gets something out of it and he doesn't just burn a lot of money trying to pursue this company and damage the company and instead kind of damages himself because right. like you know I'm from what I from what little I know about the supplement industry is that a lot of these companies even once they go bankrupt they'll go it's very shady they'll go under another name that's exactly what he kinda, said you know, exactly it, what he said he's like they'll just start up another LLC yeah. and now they're in new, new something, business something in the Cayman Islands 
villains and uh, and exactly and they'll, they'll continue doing the same thing over and over again. So I, I think that it does get to a point of um, you know detrimental uh, you know re- returns. Completely off topic, mm. but I saw. Have you guys seen Icarus on on Netflix? I haven't uh, watched that's, it. Uh, I think so. That's oh. the one with uh, that Russian doctor. Yeah, I finally watched that's it on the way so over here. Good. Oh my god, yeah. it's so good. I'm just if anybody's listening hasn't watched, I'm telling you, download on Netflix. I'm old, so I just now realized you can download movies to your phone. I thought you had to. <laughs> yeah. I thought you had to stream them. That, that movie was like he, he, it was good. It's it starts off with like that guy and he's like, well, you know, he's doing like those. Um, it's not a tour de France, like right? It's, it's an amateur level, but it's like the it's highest insane. level it's of like, amateur. It's, it's like climbing the Pyrenees, even though you're not yeah. getting any money for it. The way he describes it, it's like a week of torture, basically. Right. And he, he he can't crack what the top fourteen or right. top thirteen because those guys are just on another level. So he wants to try a doping program and he wants to find a way that he can cheat. And, yeah, and, and so document that, it. And you think, okay, for the next year or so, he's, he's going to see how it, he turns out, and, and you think, oh, maybe he'll come first or second or something like that. And then it just goes full Jason Bourne. Yeah, and man. And the, 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 the guy from Rusada, oh, oh my God. It's know, amazing. I'm Russian politics. It's worth, worth watching. So I was, I was also going to say, on Tim Means, he's spoken about how he kind of wants to move up to the middleweight division when he gets a little bit older because mm. these cuts are killing him. So I wonder what the future holds for him. And with Bilal Muhammad, uh, Covington's actually in his sights. In a previous interview, he said that he's kind of looking at this fight with Kobe Covington, he's hoping he could get it. He also knows that Usman doesn't really like his opponent. He's hoping if someone gets injured, right. he gets in there. So I think if he does beat team, uh, Tim Means this weekend, I think we may see Bilal actually being a little bit louder than usual or maybe name a few names. So that should be mm, interesting. I like it. All right, Jake Matthews versus Boyan Velikovic. Uh, Boyan, I, I like Velikovic, man. I think he's a tough guy. He's had some mixed results, but he did take Till the distance recently, and now we've seen what a monster Darren Till is. Mm. Jake Matthews. A guy that, of course, you guys are familiar with. He's moving up to 170 pounds. A young kid who has just faced such top competition from the yep. time he got into the UFC. And, you know, I asked him today, you know, is there ever a time when you look back and you're like, bro, you guys rushed the hell out of me, man. You know, if y'all would have just let me cruise a little bit and develop. And he's like, nah, man, you know, this is what I'm here to do. Um, but I feel like this is a big fight for Jake Matthews. He's got back-to-back losses. Um, again, top competition. But, I mean, this is a guy that has – supposed to be the flag bearer for the future of Australian mm. MMA, right? I mean, is there some pressure here for him to prove that, 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 that he's still that guy? I think there's a, a secret story behind it here that people don't realize, and that apparently is that his weight cut was killing him. When we spoke to him today, he said that after 20 minutes in training, he started to become dizzy and couldn't, you know, wow. keep going. So if this, this is a this guy... Is, this is in fight week, by the way. Yeah, he's doing fight week. Right. So if this sessions. is a guy that can barely do that during fight week when he's getting down to weight, you know, what can he do when he gets into that octagon? He, he must be you know his weapons must be not as sharp at all if he if that's the situation. So I'm interested to see what happens there. This is a guy that has been through the ringer when it comes to um, you know being in sports for a long time. He played AFL down down in Victoria. He was apparently a very very good player and almost had the option of going pro. And his body has been through quite a bit. You know he had to get his hips fixed up because if he didn't get the surgery, he was delaying the oh, surgery. Wow. And he, if he wasn't going to get get the surgery, the doctors uh, predicted around 30 he may have to get you know a hip hip replacement. So Jeez. this is a guy, and then also this is a guy that was studying and also teaching at his gym at the same time while being an MMA fighter. So we had a chat to him, and I, and I asked him, hey, man, have, have you cut back? So he's deferred uni. Apparently actually deferred to uni two years ago for six months, but he still <laughs> hasn't been back. <laughs> and uh, he, he, enjoys, he enjoys teaching at his gym. But He's on know, that Sage Northcutt plan, right? Yeah, like, I'm going to yeah. get that degree. Okay, maybe not. That's right. But I think this is a guy that's had a lot come his way at a very young age, and I think he, even though he won't admit it, I think he now realizes he needs to chill out a little bit, slow down a little bit, and just do what's right for his body and his future. And I think I feel like a lot was put yeah, on him very early. Too much, man. almost too much. And I think 
he didn't want to slow it down. He just wanted the fights to keep coming. Yeah. He wanted to, his name to keep growing. But with that, you know, a lot of these setbacks came. So I think almost like a Sage Northcutt type thing. I mean, the guy yeah. was that young, yeah. and he was having those type of expectations. But it's him. funny because I remember a long time ago when Sage Northcutt just burst on the scene. You know, we asked Jake, like, "Hey, are you eyeing guy like Sage Northcutt? Would you want to fight with him because he is kind of a star?" And he said. Very politely, look, I, I don't think uh, Sage Northcutt is on my level. I think I've passed those fights, to be quite frank. And it wasn't that long ago that he was sort of throwing his hat in there to potentially face a Sage Northcutt. Yeah. So he, he seems to be... And even the fact that, you know, lightweight to welterweight. Yeah. Actually, then mm. again, you know, Sage Northcutt's place is at lightweight. But still, I think I think he's had a bit of a career rejuvenation. I think the time off for him to sort of reassess everything in his life. Because I, I think if he did all of this in, in, in you know, a few-month turnaround, went to a new division, I think maybe it would have happened too quickly. But I think he's had time to really think everything through. And, you know, you always hear about how fighters, they don't really improve when they're just going back That's to right. training camps. That's they're right. just sharpening he's, their skills and, yeah. you know, staying fit. But he's, he's... I think the kid looks like he's got talent. I just... I've honestly, from the huge. very beginning of... Yeah, he looks, he looks, he looks so great much bigger. this week. Oh and a lot God. more personality. I think yep. personality started to come out. He was a bit robotic at the start, very... PR friendly, but I think now we're starting to kind of get a feel for who he is as a person. He's actually a really interesting kid. You know, he loves his motocross. He, he has a lot of interesting hobbies. So I hope we get an opportunity to learn more about those aspects from him. And when we, when us as media, when all of us talk to him, I hope it, it's not as straightforward and we, he lets us in a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. All right, Daniel Kelly, let's talk about a uh, an Australian a hero, hero there, Dad's uh, army. Elias Theodoro. Um, interesting matchup here. You know, Daniel Kelly and I talked about uh, – the one thing I love about Daniel Kelly is that he, he is just such an open, honest, straightforward guy. Mm. You know, you, you know you can ask him questions that aren't exactly fun to talk about. And, of course, we had to talk about the knockout, right? And, I mean, with all that he's done in his career, it's weird because he was on a four-fight winning streak going into that fight this summer, right, and then just gets laid out cold. Mm. Um, and it's not pretty. And he's 40 years old, and we know he's a family man, and we know that – you know his his legs are held together by mm-hmm. by, by rubber bands. You know he's basically said, <laughs> right? I got to be able to wear the knee braces or I can't compete. Um, so I mean, there was a part of me that was like, is this the last we see of Daniel Kelly? Like, does he think? I mean, because who wants to see their their dad or their you know their husband get knocked out like that, right? And it's so weird because he had been so effective. I mean, he, it just keeps proving people wrong. So on the one hand, like I'm glad to see him back, but on the other hand, I did have to ask him, you know, did you think about walking away? And he's like, look. Of course, I didn't want to get knocked out. Like, it sucks. But like, as you said, I did have some wins, and I still feel like there's gas mm. in the tank. So um, I think this is kind of an interesting matchup. I mean, Elias, certainly the the, the younger guy in, in uh, you know, the main event, he's mm-hmm. certainly enjoying uh, walking around talking about his, his Pert Plus representation. He's a spokes- spokesperson, apparently, for Mattel as well. He was talking about with right? us in an interview. This guy's across the board, across a whole bunch of stuff. He was telling us how he's got plans of being in a movie and a TV show because he believes that's going to actually get him better fights in the UFC than if he has back-to-back fights and back-to-back victories. This is a guy that's very market, marketing-friendly, marketing-orientated. When you speak to him, he's smooth as silk. You know, He's a good-looking guy. And um, He walked out of the, the media room today, the last quote. He, he didn't even do interviews today. He was just there to do the face-offs. And I don't know who he was talking to, but he walked out, and the last thing he said was, fighting doesn't pay until it pays. Mm. And he's like, Write that down. Point out. I was like, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah. he's, he's, he's a really savvy guy. And I mean, he contacted us because he wanted to sit down and do an interview. I think he contacts, you know, most um, most outlets to do that. He's just very he's smart. He's a hustler. He's a hustler. He, he knows what he's doing. Work. But the funny thing. Me, the fu- I didn't. <laughs> well, you know, John, you know, I, I think an email or a tweet or <laughs> nothing, so. That was $50 slipped <laughs> under the <laughs> We can't have identical content all the time. But I was going to say. 
one of the interesting things was when we spoke to Dan, he was actually quite bothered by um, the tra- some of the trash talk that was happening, I suppose, through Twitter and stuff like that. There were a few images shared. I didn't think it was anything too serious. I thought it was a little bit of fun. It was like No Country for Old Judo and a couple of faces photoshopped on there. There was like Rock'em Sock'em. That Elias had created? Yeah, or? yeah. Okay. Nick Ray had put up oh, on Twitter. Dan got a little angry about yeah, it, huh? Well, very, he was quite upset about it. And also there was a Rock'em Sock'em Robots thing. And he brought up a thing like his kids go to school and people have Twitter and how you know people notice that and his kids have to deal with it. And he was quite upset about it about it and how he's sort of two-faced and there were friends in the house and you know he was he's talking shit and, and wow. doing that. I didn't really so feel a like flavor here yeah I didn't really feel like he's really going out of his way to talk shit I think he's mm. just kind of trying to be funny trying to trying to get people entertained keep them entertained right. I know he spoke to us when he ran into Dan um, you know Dan gave him a cold look wasn't you know he came up to Dan I think he wanted to have a bit of a chat or whatever uh. Dan, Dan wasn't down for it so did he call all Australians dirty animals is that what I <laughs> 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 but Daniel Kelly I mean uh, it is it is I mean I, and I try to say this and obviously we've been down here a lot and I'm sure you guys get sick of hearing it but for people that don't listen to the show all the time or that don't always um, watch these Australian cards I mean it, it's not out of the realm I mean Kelly's a hero down here I mean yeah. the guy is honestly like I, the guy gets so much love it's amazing yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think he's a guy that everybody can relate to, right? He's, he's the everyman. He's the underdog. He doesn't, he doesn't have a physique like, say, an Alistair Overeem right. or a, you know, Francis Ngannou. But he goes in there and he gets it done, and he, he gets it done through, through hard work and determination. So, for me, the biggest X factor is, does Dan get emotional in this fight? Mm-hmm. Because it, like, I mean, we, we pointed out in the interview, we said, look, you seem bothered, more bothered than ever before. Is this your first rival? Is this the first grudge match? Like, who would have ever thought Dan Kelly in a grudge mm. match? The most easygoing, laid-back, I'll, I'll, I'll take it as it comes kind of guy. And here he is, looks pretty pissed off going And what did he so. say? Did he say, yeah, it's kind of... He, uh, yeah, I kind mean, of deflected I, he, a little. He, yeah, a little bit. He didn't want to commit to that, but like we sort of pushed a few questions, and he, you, I don't know. You can see, he, he, you can watch the interview. You can see there is a moment where he kind of doesn't really hold back, and he gets a little bit pissed off, and he he, he calls Elias mm. fake. He's like, mate, I don't. He's he's like, you know, I didn't appreciate it. Don't be a dick. He's like, don't come to my face and be fake, and then and then want to shake hands. I'm not down for that. From I Dan like Kelly, that's strong considering that Dan Kelly's not a Conor McGregor when it comes to trash talking, no. like that's that's, that's strong. There's words. a lot of gravity behind mm. that. But that's the thing with Dan Kelly as well. When he doesn't like something, he'll tell. And I think a lot of people have him this whole kind of like fatherly, like this is just the positive kind of right. like old guy yeah. going or something. But hey, this is a guy. If he doesn't like it, he'll point it out. He's, He's going to his dark place. Theor- yeah, he has some interesting theories about what MMA is all about and stuff like that. I mean, we could talk about a whole bunch of his theories. Also, this is a guy that owns a gym, so he's quite a busy guy in that regard. And also, he he does have some issues behind the scenes with you know his right. kid and stuff like that and he did mention to us that you know they're not going on, on a trip because there's stuff going on there as well because mm. they're like see this is a guy that's super mentally strong that's been in multiple olympics we know his body sort of is, isn't where it used to be but mentally that's what gets him through so he's got he has a difficult not the easiest life and I think that's what makes him so tough in that octagon because mentally he's just he's ready to go and I think it's probably why um the Aussies uh, love him so much down here so in terms of what's going to happen, I mean, look, Theodore is a very, very talented guy. He's a, he's a good wrestler and he's a grinder. But the same with Dan Kelly, the, his biggest problems are these guys that come forward and try and knock him out in the first round. When it comes to grinding, when it comes to grappling, he's he's pretty good at that. So if his body can hold up, I'm still thinking there's a chance Dan Kelly walks away with a victory here in Sydney. I actually mm. ended up picking him. 
It's it's kind of like, you know, with Chris Camozzi, like, theoretically, I thought Chris Camozzi was a stylistical, I wouldn't say nightmare for Dan Kelly, but he had a lot of good tool, tools to beat him, you know, he had, he had a really good jab, Chris Camozzi, he had some sharp knees, you know, uh, on paper, a better striker than Dan, but Dan just kind of lulled him into this brawl, mm. made him fight his way, yep. and, um, you know, beat him up really badly. So I think for Elias, this could be a really dangerous fight, I mean... Let's not beat around the bush. He's a beautiful man. Beautiful mane of hair. <laughs> Modeling is... Uh, I'm is glad we could get right to it, Cash. <laughs> not, you know... It was, it was the elephant in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had to say it, right? We were all thinking it. It's mm. quite a great man. We're, we're not man. horsing around, right? Um, this could be a really bloody fight for Elias. Yep. If he is lulled into that kind of fight... We, we have seen Elias fade sometimes, uh, going later into these fights. And I think Dan Kelly, I wouldn't call him you know, maybe the king of the grinders, but is a really good grinder. Yep. And I think the longer the fight goes, can can Elias stick to a, a really strict game plan? Can he stay on the outside for three rounds? Dan Kelly was talking about how he's got a lot of tricks up his sleeves, a lot of things that, like, I think, and that's the crazy thing about him is that he's, you know, he's, he's such a, you know, he's an old guy, right? He's, right? he's such an old guy, but he's still improving every fight. Like, right. we saw a lot of interesting trips in the Rashad Evans fight. And, um, you know, Elias just isn't that kind of guy who's going to go out there full force, try and take his head off like a Brunson, That's like right. a, you know, or, or even a Sam Alvey. So. Yeah, you don't have the necessarily imminent danger. Yeah, and yeah. The, my big question with Elias is always his approach to MMA. I don't believe that uh, focusing all your time outside of MMA is what's going to get you to rise in the ranks of MMA. And the guy just has so much going on, you know what I mean? And he he's spoken to us before. He's not in a rush to take lots of fights back to back. He likes to take it easy. He wants to focus on these outside projects. To me, my opinion of that is, you know, he he's not the best Elias that he could be because of all these things. So I'm interested to see if maybe mm. he's uh, you know distracted a little bit. Maybe he thinks Dan's not on his level because let's not forget when they were in the house together. Dan did not look impressive. And right. maybe that's still the mental picture that he's got. Mm. So. All right. Let's talk about Alex Volkanovsky versus Shane Young. Shane Young, the third different opponent for Volkanovsky. Mm. Uh, listen, I've been impressed by Volkanovsky and what I've seen so far. Uh, not only his fighting game, but, of course, his personal style with his bow tie and mm. his uh, dress. Uh, I, surprise, I, I didn't fact check this, but a, a reporter said this week, and I didn't know, uh, first Aussie versus Kiwi matchup in UFC history. Is that possible? Really? I didn't even know yeah, that. Somebody threw it out there. I hadn't uh, heard that. But uh, I don't know. What do you guys expect now of this? I mean, Shane Young um, coming in on, on incredibly short notice. Yeah. I think you – did you guys ch get a chance to talk to him? Yeah, I mean, he's a great guy. It was yeah. an interesting situation, actually. This uh, you know, this guy, eight days notice, and he was actually having problems draw, drawing blood um, on the day that we were supposed to interview him. So oh, we wow. were just sort of hanging around and then eventually got him very, very later on. But this is a great kid. He's had a – Pretty rough uh, life over there in New Zealand. Grew up in a rough part of town, but is very mentally strong. Apparently, him and Alex got close to fighting a few times before. They know each other quite well. Like Alex said during the scrum, um, the person in his corner was a previous training partner of Shane's. Right. So these guys, and you know, he spoke to us behind the scenes and said that he needed this fight because he needed the money for this fight. He was afraid this fight was going to fall apart. So he actually got together with uh, the person behind Shane and actually got this fight together to make sure it happened. So I'm sure there's a big part of him that's really appreciative about Shane coming in and doing this. This is a good opportunity for Shane to be signed to the UFC. Um, but Volkanovski is an absolute killer. He's a, he's yes, a destroyer. He and he, he had some back problems he says those back problems are fixed now in his last fight he was sick and he still looked really really yep. good i actually think this is a guy that is 
one of the biggest secrets in the division. I mm-hmm. think if he does beat Shane here, he deserves a, a well-known opponent. And he, he deserves said Jeremy to be Stevens. Yeah. He said uh, Andre Feely, maybe. And he said also, you know, no offense to the market here. He said he would like to – he's like, Perth, a pay-per-view would be really nice. He's like, but I do feel like maybe I need to get to the States, fight, in front, right. of, fight in front of some other yes. crowds mm-hmm. so they can see me. Because I think you're right. I'm fortunate enough that I've gotten to come down here and see him quite a few times, but I've been impressed by, by what I see. People don't know who he is. That's the big thing. It's like he's in the UFC, but he's in UFC Australia and not UFC Worldwide. Right. People don't know who he is. So it's almost like people don't see him as a UFC fighter. And I think he had this long dream of being in the UFC and being and fighting the best of the best. But let, let's be honest, that dream hasn't really become a reality yet. He's really struggling to get these fights together. He's struggling to get these opponents together. And nobody really knows who he is. Yep. So this is a great guy, but... He needs to make some money for his family, and he need he wants to blow up. He's put everything into MMA, and after this fight, I think he deserves to really get a little bit of a push from the UFC, especially in this division yeah. where, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of gaps in the division for a new star to emerge. I like the, his whole gimmick where he talks about it. He's the nice guy in the sport. He doesn't like to, you know, talk trash. I think it's refreshing, and he's 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 a really really exciting guy. His his wins come in the way of finishes. So I mean, how could you not like him? I think I think sort of, and in terms of the actual matchup, like Shane. Young, he's never been finished, and Alex Volkanovski, obviously known for his crushing KO power. We all, right. we all heard the stories how he used to be 97 kilos. What is that, like 210 pounds yeah. or something like that? That's that's insane. Really, really heavy guy playing, uh, you know, NRL rugby. Saw some of the old pictures in some of the media he this week. I mean, he just was looked like dick. a balloon. Yeah, it's so round. Um, so yeah, and you know, him being. Uh, for those who don't know, Alex Volkanovski was a former AFC champion, obviously a, a, an Aussie regional promotion, and Shane Young was actually uh, an XFC champion. And these guys kind of, I guess, circled around each other on the regional scene. There were times where they were supposed to fight, and then for whatever reason, it didn't happen. Shane kind of alluded, it, it didn't really make it sound like Alex was ducking it, but he kind of said like there were offers for that fight to happen, and he kind of Shane was like, look, why would you take on a guy like me when you're on a 10-fight win streak, knocking on the door of UFC? Right. Making it sound like that wouldn't have been a smart fight for him to take. Alex kind of took exception to that. I was like, oh, really? Okay. Is that what he said? Him, you know, having that gimmick of being a nice guy, didn't want to talk trash. But, yeah. I, and on Shane Young's, he's a, he's a really, really nice guy, mm. actually. Of, you know, for a guy who's making his UFC debut, like, obviously, if you look at the interviews on the channel that we've got up, Obviously, there are bigger names, but he's one of the the more the interviews that has done better, and that just kind of goes to show the the support, the local love, the local love from New Zealand. Just a really nice guy, always mm. smiling, very laid back. You know, um, kind of sort of sort of has that laid back approach, kind of like a lot of Aussies. But he, he he's he's an open book. You right. ask him anything, he'll tell you. Kind of like someone who else we'll talk about, and that's uh, Ashkan Mokhtarian. Well, let's get to the prelims, because it's funny. You know, we sit here and we talked about this is not the biggest card ever, right? Mm-hmm. But we spent quite a bit of time talking about the intricacies and the storylines of the main card. Now, I look at this prelims, and, uh, you know, Ryan Benoit versus Ashkan Mokhtarian. Mokhtarian did not have a great debut, but, my God, his interview that he had with us at the workouts yesterday was great. His mm-hmm. brother was there as well. Um, you know, their passion was phenomenal. Will Brooks and, and Nick Lance, obviously you have the history that goes back to UFC 216. They, I had a chance to interview both of them, and neither one of them, they're like, ah, this isn't a rivalry match, but fuck that guy. You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) they're both like, I'm going to kick his ass. Uh, You know, Anthony Hamilton versus Adam Wiesrak, I guess I have personal interest in that because that was the fight that was supposed to happen in Poland, and then, you know, you had the the, the soccer ultras come in and force the reschedule. Did you see guys, by the way? Because Adam Adam apparently had no idea. He seemed clueless. Well, they were backstage. So, yeah, so what happened was they were backstage about to come out for the weigh-ins, for the ceremonials. And all of a sudden, like these people come in, and they 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 don't they come in right at the end of the Q and A, and you actually see Dan Hardy go, oh look, we have some more fans there, but like they don't cheer uh. for anything. And we were like, it, it was weird because you could see him, and we were all like, 
who are these people? Like, they just look like people. I mean, you know how, like, you don't know who they are, but it's like, those people want trouble. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So they came in, and we were like, man, that's a weird-looking crew there. And then, so we're like, all right, well, you know, local fans, whatever. So then the ceremonial weigh-ins start, and, like, a cu- you know, you're like, I wonder which Polish guy they're here to cheer for. And, like, a Polish fighter would come on the scale, and they're all just, like, <laughs> arms crossed <laughs> on their chest, not doing anything. You're like, what is going on? So literally, my understanding is, and, and we talked about it a little bit that week, but, like, I mean, you know, security Steve and the rest of the crew, I mean, they're literally like, making a call, like, on the fly. Like, wow. literally, like, as they're about to go out, like, don't do it. So, I mean, it was it was a crazy situation. And then uh, the final prelim, Damian Brown, a guy that has an interesting story about, you know, uh, it, it kind of admits, he, you know, he had a, the pressure of not being under contract after his last fight kind of got to him. He got knocked mm. out. And um, he's a prison guard. And he uh, served, obviously, yeah, for the Army. So, and used MMA as a way to rehab after injuries and get over PTSD. So, so look at these prelims. I mean, this is the FS1 prelims. I mean, tell me, what's, is it is it Mokhtarian that stands out to you? I mean, I would say that's our, our buddy Christian's friend over here. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's always had his back. He had a rough go first out. Like I said, I love the, the Brooks and Lentz kind of rivalry match. I mean, I like Frank Camacho as well. I didn't even get a chance to talk to him this week. He's a good dude. Um, but what 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 are the storylines or the fights that you're looking most forward to on that little section? Oh uh, man, I, I really want to see Ash do well. Christian's uh, videographer is one of the greatest videographers in the world. It's, he, he's got a scruffy beard and he's got a terrible taste in movies, but it's great to have him on the crew. And um, you know, he's very very close to Ash, so we've gotten to know Ash's story. He's got an incredible story. This Australian is a, top team is the squad. Australian top team is the squad. What an incredible team at the open workouts. Uh, a lot of support from the crew there, and it yeah. was almost like an Australian top team uh, open workout, really. I think think um it was almost like the oscars it was just uh, uh acceptance speeches great promos great. Uh, everyone was getting and i pumped. guess just i mean we're kind of jumping ahead but nadia kasim is uh an australian top team fighter as well so here's the interesting story they're all bound together so obviously you've got ash his brother suman who is featured in that scrum as well and nadia is going out with suman so it's all kind of like one big ATT right. family, and, and I guess there's Suman. If you if you guys didn't watch the scrum, uh, you know he was saying I guess he's been cutting weight all week, uh, getting re- I he's mean ready just, to go. just getting ready the whole time. He's just saying I'm here. Ready to he go. was thinking about potentially fighting on this car, potentially fighting in Shanghai. Uh, he fights at uh, I believe bantamweight. So I, I find it a lot of these stories don't necessarily do anything for me. They don't move the needle with me, but I don't know. I'm really drawn to Ash and Suman and the relationship that they have because they kind of remind me of the Australian Diaz brothers. <laughs> Something about it. Like they're both so passionate. Mm. You know, Ash is, uh, I guess you it's not say, a bad comparison. It's not a bad comparison at all. Right. I did. I wanted to ask them that during the scrum, but I was like, you know what? It, it's a little bit early. If they don't have success this weekend, it might be a stupid question. It's like, ah, you know, Nick Diaz and Nate Diaz, they're at the top of the sport. You know, right. who are these guys? But not in terms of fighting, but just in terms of that personality, the way that you can see how much Ash looks up to Suman as not just a brother, but like a role model, someone who guides him and just, just sort of helps him in aspect. And I think it's sort of a symbiotic relationship where Suman sort of, I don't know if he would say that he looks up to Ash, but he sort of gets a lot out of that, you know, brotherly relationship, and yep. they've got their own backs. I mean, you know, this was Ash's scrum. This is his weekend. Suma's not even in the UFC, even if he's not, even though he's and not. And he wanted his brother but right he, there with he him. He said, "Come be in the scrum," you know, and I think that's kind of very Nick and Nate Diaz, where they're always looking out for each other, and you know, even to the point where they don't want to take certain fights because it affects their brothers' careers. So. 
Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. You, you, you got to... I mean, even though he's not fighting the card, it's a crazy situation for Ash's brother because, you know, he's got his, his girlfriend and his brother yeah. fighting on, on That's the That's got to be card. intense. Yeah. Intense. Why, you know, to me, like, I made the comparison to Faraz Sahabi in New York at 217. His yeah. brother gets knocked out in the first fight. He's still got to go corner the main event with George mm-hmm. St. Pierre. I mean, just such a range of emotions. And you're right, man. The tensions that he's going to have dealing with that. And I'm interested with Will Brooks. Obviously, we all interviewed him. And one of the things that he said was uh, he might have not been really applying himself in training like he could yeah. have, you know, that he's really focused and now he's found his passion again. And this is a guy that for a long time in his Bellator run was, you know, considered one of the best, mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> Funnily enough, you know, he may begin this run on, on a card in Australia where a lot of people may not tune in. But this is this could be the beginning of that run. I'm really excited about that. He looks very, very confident. He reckons he switched some stuff around. He thinks we're going to see a new Will Brooks. It's going to be a mixture of the old Will Brooks with some new fancy things added. So... And, I mean, Nick Lentz, how could you not love that guy? So, I think that is going to be a very, very interesting fight. I'm excited fight. for that and one. I, after I, that fight, there will be some interesting things to be to be said as well. I agree. I had a chance to interview both of them. And if you, if, if you want to kind of read up on it or, or just listen to it, they're both on our YouTube channel. But, mm. again, it was both low-key. Like, is this a grudge match? No, it's not a grudge match, but I'm going to kick that guy's ass. And he was a bitch, <laughs> and I never liked him in the way. You know what I mean? It was, yeah, so, yeah. it was kind of – I really liked it. And both of them, like, you know, swear that they can break each other. And uh, I, I'm, I'm all over it, man. Did I, you I think that's just be a good quickly, one. I'm, I'm Brooks, did you in your interviews? Did you speak to him about, uh, like, I guess his personal life and what's been going on in in the last year or so? Well, he talked a lot about the fact that, at least when I was talking, he talked a lot about the fact that he, first of all, was very committed to his family. You know, exactly, trying to get yeah. things worked out there, and, mm-hmm. and and he felt like he was basically like skipping practice to to get things worked out with his family because he felt like he needed to be a better husband and a better father. Yeah. And now that he feels like he's got that, and he also talked about too, which I thought was kind of interesting. He's like, you know, I used to fight with a chip on my shoulder, like it was me against the world. He's like, then I made a little money, I got a house, I got a wife and a kid and he's like now it's not me against the world anymore now you know he's like and i, I needed that kind of ah you know kind of motivation so yeah apparently someone in train one of his training trainers came up to him and said you're back he's mm-hmm. like what do you mean it's like you're back you know you, you, you you're the way they used to be you're back in training like this, he, is, the he, old he, this is after he came back to the gym after like either weeks or months and he mm-hmm. thought he meant like oh you're back in the gym but his trainer meant like you like you said like you, you're back to your old self and that kind of lit a fire under yeah. him that he could be that old will brooks and he did find something in him but speaking of nadia as well i'm very interested in seeing her fight with the alex oh, chambers, chambers. Well, i mean we were talking about dan kelly being 40 uh, alex chambers is 39 a very very impressive feat to be in the ufc at that age and um she's had a couple years off you know she's she was talking to us about that she she's making a comeback you know she definitely has a following here in australia and nadia is it's very impressive that she's in the UFC, you know, like uh, like her boyfriend said that, you know, she, she's been training MMA for a couple of years, she's been, she's had four wins, and now she's in the UFC, and she's against uh, going up against a, a veteran like Alex Chambers, so it's going to be very, very interesting, uh, apparently Nadia's striking ability is very impressive, and, you know, she's young, she's hungry, she's ready for this fight, but at the same time, you've got this wily veteran, and Alex Chambers, and uh, she, is, uh, she is very, very pumped to be in there, and this is the most interesting thing a little bit of behind the scenes stuff um uh, Alex Chambers, while she seems like you know she's the nicest person, there's a little bit of uh, animosity there. She doesn't really, she's mm. not. Yeah, she uh, she's given uh, Nadia a few looks here and there. All we were right. about to do an interview with her and sit down and do an interview, and obviously uh, Suman was sitting there talking to talking to uh, Christian, just sort of a little bit further up there. And, and we asked her if she's ready for the interview. She sat down, and then Suman left, and then we did the interview. So she kind of didn't want to do it around him. There's a there's a bit of a rivalry there. It's gonna. I'm really interested to see what happens in this fight. You don't really see Chambers. 
Chambers uh, be much of a trash talker, but she had her represent so hoodie on, and you know the whole maybe Nate Diaz thing was happening. So where there's a bit of there's a bit of attitude there. Maybe she's been out for a couple of years and she's realised, hey, I want I want to do this. I want to have a bit more attitude. But you know, this is a person with like a degree in science, right. a very, very educated person who was you know very very nice to everyone for a really long time. But you know, there's a bit of animosity there. So it's going to make things very very interesting on Sunday morning. That's on Fight Pass. The other two fights there, Janelle Lousa versus Eric Shelton, which I think is an underrated fight. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. And it kicks off with Rashad Colder versus Ty Tuivasa. Heavyweights mm. kicking off the card. And uh, that fight, this could fight be fireworks, been. right? And yeah. it should have been higher up on the card. Yeah. Let's not beat around the bush. You know, Ty is a huge prospect in the heavyweight division. This is a guy that's been training with Mark Hunt and taking those punches and, and inspiring and, and you know making Mark Hunt, Mark apparently Hunt he's one of the hard only, for it. Yeah, apparently he's one of the only guys who can stand with Mark Hunt in training, like properly stand like other and people bang with just Mark Hunt. Like wears them out. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, it's interesting to sort of circle back to what you were asking about before in terms of where is MMA in Australia. In terms of popularity, it might be, you know, a little bit plateaued for now. But one thing that you're seeing, like with Alex Volkanovsky and Ty Tuivasa, is these guys who, we were speaking about this years ago. Funnily enough, we're having this conversation here in Sydney, Rockhold versus Bisping in 2014 in November, about how, man, if a lot of these guys who went into rugby and NRL, these athletic beasts, mm. these Samoan guys, these Polynesian right. guys, guys with just huge bone density and just raw natural athletic ability, strength, KO power, speed, agility, if they could just, you know... Stop going to NRL and go into MMA. Like, and that's tied to Vasa to a Roosters player and Alex Volkanovsky. Yep. Just a, a phenomenal athlete, kind of very similar to Mark Hunt in the sense that if you look at him physically, like he doesn't look like a physical specimen. Tuivasa was on his way to being a, a national team guy, right? I yeah. mean, he was. I mean, he was legit, proper, you know, prospect. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And apparently, the culture in, in football clubs, which that's one of the interesting things about uh, some of the sports here, the football clubs here, AFL, NRL, especially on the more local levels. A little bit about of it is about uh, playing the sport, but a lot of it is about going on the trips. You know, getting drunk. What? Yeah, it's all, what? <laughs> it's all about. He's irresponsible athlete. I know, I know. And he told a a ridiculous story (laughs) about um, over here in Australia, funnily enough, uh, there's these uh, slot machine type things called the pokies, and they're available at a lot of pubs. And a lot of the clubs, a lot of local sporting clubs have them. It's a big money owner, but it's a big problem here in Australia. And he was talking about a crazy story. He, I think, dropped like 20 Gs one one day mm. on, on that. And it was, that was one of the things that sort of made him want to go over the to MMA. And, uh, Didn't he quit the next day? Something like that? It's a very, very... It, it, the environment isn't easy. And in all seriousness, though, you know... A lot of a lot of really big problems with young men um, committing suicide in in NRL. There's there's just a crazy culture of depression and suicide. Really really big problem in NRL, especially during the, around the junior teams. Um, you know, one of my girlfriend's uh, brother's friends who was playing for uh, one of the junior um, teams for the Melbourne Storm, <laughs> unfortunately uh, passed away wow. recently, and a, f- a few others that were related to him. It's very, very difficult. It's it's very, very sad, and it's because the culture isn't where it needs to be, and uh, he recognized this. He's gone over to mixed martial arts, um, and me and Casper interviewed him today, and as much of a nice guy as he is, he is a scary individual. Yes, we is. would not want to get on the wrong side of him. It's one of those guys that, you know, uh, sometimes you interview a fighter and you go, how can this guy be a fighter? This guy's the nicest guy ever and maybe he's not the biggest guy. Vulcan Ozdemir, uh, kind eyes. Yeah, kind eyes, <laughs> nice kind eyes, endearing looks. This is a guy <laughs> where you're like, I hope he doesn't uh, misconstrue anything that I joke around about in the interview because um, I'm afraid he'll touch me with one finger and it'll cease to exist. So 
This is one of those guys, man. This guy's not playing around. He's got huge hype behind him. He should be up higher on the card because this is a guy that UFC is really going to be able to push in the future, and we believe. There's a lot of similarities between him and Mark. Like It's, it's kind of yeah. funny, like that whole pokies thing. I think Mark Hunt had his mm. spell with that as well. But even, like you know, we've heard some stories about Ty and, like, you know, he's, he, he's a guy who likes to have fun, and he said it himself, he, he likes the blue. He, he's no stranger to fights, yep. and I think, um, you know, Christian Christian's, you know, our videographer's obviously, uh, I don't know if I'd really say close, but he, he's very familiar with his team, actually pretty close with his team, and he swears that Tai Tuivasa, he's, he's a killer when he spells blood. He always compares him, he said it a million times, he's like Vitor Belfort. When he has you hurt, mm-hmm. he just goes in for the kill, and pretty fast for a heavyweight as well. So um, It's good. I'm, it should be a great way to start off the car. Oh, yeah. By the way, if Volkanoldsdemir wants to get rid of that no time thing, kind eyes isn't bad, right? Just Kind eyes, yeah. Volkan, kind <laughs> eyes, Ozdemir, Bambi eyes, doe eyes. <laughs> Hungry eyes, right? Hungry eyes is always the best one. That's great. All right, guys. Well, listen, I have uh, kept you guys too long. Well, really not, because you guys nah, keep me really. forever all the time. So. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, I appreciate it. Like I said, it, you know, that's a three-hour interview, John. <laughs> <laughs> Man, the odds I, I get think, paid I off big. Would you like to do it now? I think you like two hours of our time. <laughs> I love it. No, it's funny because to me, it, it is one of those cards. It's not the biggest card ever. It, there's a reason there's not a ton of media here. But when you really break it down, it's fun to me when you can go through that. Hopefully, we've at least given some people some things to think about while they're watching. Now, what we need to all do is uh, – Go load up on some uh, frosty beverages. Okay. We, we, we got a light day tomorrow. One weigh-in. I love it. Not two weigh-ins. None of that official and ceremony where it just becomes the longest day ever. <laughs> and yeah. then it's the irris- morning fights. It's irresponsible of the UFC to give us so much time to have these frosty beverages. What were they thinking? Silly for them. Silly for them. It's going to be another boomerang headline in the news. Yeah. Got to be careful. Is anyone going to go John? Oh, I'm going after somebody. All right. Well, guys, I appreciate the time. And to everybody else. Thanks for listening.